Good morning, church. It's good to be here today. Can you hear me? All right. Is that enough? There we go. Now we're cooking with peanut oil. There we go. Uh, watching the uh, announcement videos um, this morning made me really realize how much I love and appreciate Trey and Anna Thomas and what they do for our church, for our marriages through Reengage. Uh, and our marriage refresh as well as transformation. So thank you for being such an awesome uh, couple who serves the Lord and for having an announcement video longer than my sermon. Thank you for that as well. I love you. Uh, a little bit of an update. I've been gone for a while. My youngest daughter came in today and said, Dad, you look like Johnny Cash today. I said, well, I've been everywhere, man. <laughs> uh, wow. We've been, uh, Lisa and I have been... Across the fruited plains and back and forth uh, for the last few months, uh, we finally finished our run this last week. And, uh, man, what a run it was. 26 events this year, uh, spreading the good news of Jesus from right here in West Monroe, Louisiana. So we're grateful to be back home. Uh, this last trip, I was in Missouri. And so we were driving home yesterday. And I happened to come through a town you may be familiar with. We got that picture queued up. There we go. Pocahontas, Arkansas. A guy we love claims to be from there. And the reason I say that is because after I stopped and took a picture in front of this sign, I stopped at the Sitco on the edge of town. Stopped, got me some gas, got me a bottle of water. And so I asked Velma, who was at the register. He said, well, how do you know her name was Velma? Because it said it on her name tag, Velma. I said, Velma, I've heard that Mike Kellett is from Pocahontas, Arkansas. Is that true? She said, who? I said, Mike Kellett. She said, I don't know. I never heard of a Mike Kellett. There are some Kellett's that live around here, but I never heard of Mike Kellett. And then she looked over, and there was a woman, apparently named Ruby, that was playing video poker and smoking a cigarette. She said, Ruby, you ever heard of Mike Kellett? And I guess Ruby must have been locked into her game because being startled by being called out in the convenience store, she went into sort of a wet, emphysema-like cough and couldn't really respond. So she just shook her head. Like that. And um, so she said, so Velma said, what is, who is Mike Keller? What has he done? In other words, I knew it was coming. Why are you asking about him? I said, well, I heard he was the Duck Dynasty pastor down in Louisiana. She went, really? I said, that's what I heard. And she said, well, I'm going to look into that. I said, well, you go, girl. And I left, and I never said anything else. So I don't know if Kellett's really from Pocahontas, Arkansas or not. Velma and Ruby have never heard of him. You can ask him when he gets back in town. Uh, give you a little bit of update on the blind. It's uh, Obviously, we just uh, finished the run in theaters. Amazing. Way beyond most people's expectations. And Zach told me the number one box office sales theater was Tinseltown in West Monroe, Louisiana. What about that? Is that not great? I love it. 
I mean, Jesus himself was not honored in his hometown, but we were as a family. And so I'm so grateful for our community. Thank you guys. I know you supported the film and went. And man, the life-changing stories about marriage uh, and about just people coming to Christ have been amazing. And now that it's out on, on digital and DVD, I expect those stories to just get more and more. So grateful for that. Also, I took a peek this week, and Unashamed Podcast is number four in all podcasts in America in, uh, in the spiritual realm. So that's a blessing as well. Thank you for that. So we give God all the glory and praise and credit today for what he's doing uh, through our church. And, and Mike was right a couple of weeks ago when he said this whole thing that we're a part of, this is our church's story uh, because you've been there for us. So thank you, and we love you. Olivia Revoir, come on up. Did I get the name right? Oh, good. Uh, Olivia is a fifth grader at CCS, and uh, she does competition dance. She loves to help homeless people and stray dogs. So that's pretty good. I think that deserves a little round of applause. And uh, she is going to have our scripture for us today. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seeking you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one, the one who opens the door, the one who knocks the door will be opened. Thank you, Olivia. Round of applause for Olivia. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for your heart. Um, so today we're going to be looking at one of the most uh, famous stories uh, in the Bible, and especially in the Gospels, and it's one of my favorites because it, it it's personal to me, uh, because really I've represented everybody in this story, uh, but I've also represented the prodigal. We're in Luke 15. In, uh, in the Bible, it says the parable of the lost son, uh, but it's far more than that. So if you can turn your Bibles or phones or whatever you uh, read scripture on to Luke 15. We're going to dive right into this uh, this context. And I love it because Luke does a really nice job of giving us the context and the setting. And in this case, it really helps us understand the purpose of these three parables. Uh, the setting is going to tell us exactly what Jesus had in mind uh, when he tells these stories. Let's, let's start in Luke 15, 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus, which is a good thing, right? But, conjunction, junction, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Here we go with the muttering again. We've had a lot of muttering going on. So what is muttering? Well, I looked it up. Mutter is to say something in a low or barely audible voice, especially in dissatisfaction or irritation, mutter. You ever been muttered at before? What'd you say? Right? You've heard that low mutter. When Dad went to New Zealand a few few years ago, he and Mom, you know, he's in another country. He's like, man, this is my opportunity to share Jesus. And so he was in all these hunting stores and you know hunters situations, and it wasn't really. He never went to a church, but you know, Dad. So he just went right in and talked about Jesus. He said the whole time he would do it, he would hear this. Like a bunch of angry bees, you know. And he asked after a couple of stops, he asked the guy that was taking him around. He said, what is that noise they're making every time I bring up Jesus? He said, Phil, they don't like that. They don't think that's proper in a public setting to talk about faith. 
and dabbling. Hmm. Muttering. That's what that is. We're not happy with this situation. So here Jesus is. Sinners and tax collectors are attracted to what he's saying. He seems to be okay with them being there. And the Pharisees, the religious hierarchy, the leadership of Israel for all things religious and supposedly spiritual are muttering. They don't like it. In fact, it would go on to say, they went on to say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Who would do that? And don't you love it? Because there's no sense of self-awareness. It's not like, I'm a sinner. It's just like, who would eat with those people? So that's the setting. And that's the what. And it really explains a lot about the mindset of the Pharisees and the religious hierarchy of the day. We talked about this on our podcast a few weeks ago. The, the Pharisees' idea is why they love money so much. Later when we get to Luke 16, there's going to be a parable there. And in, in Luke 16, 14, it says, the Pharisees who love money. And you think, why do they love money so much? Because their mindset was, if you were blessed financially and with material possessions, that meant God really loved you and you were doing really good. But if you were in a bad situation or you had some physical malady or you were doing something to have dishonest gain like a tax collector, there's no way you were loved by God at all. You were cursed. And that was their mindset. And that's why they all felt so good about themselves. So you understand this. It's more than just these sad sacks that Jesus is talking to. It's that these people are cursed. Why would he waste his breath on them? That's their mindset. But that's going to set up so much when Jesus gets into these stories. And it's really going to help us to understand exactly what he's trying to tell us. You see, God is a pursuer of all things lost. All things and all people, including the mutterers, including the people that have it all wrong about what true blessing is. God is a pursuer of all things lost. And that's the basis of our parables today. Let's look at verse three, because if the setting gives us the what this searching that Jesus is going to talk about gives us the who. Who are we talking about here? Look at verse three. So Jesus, in response to this muttering told them a parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Now, this is something that he's trying to relate to these guys because they would understand this. A sheep is expensive. Of course, we're going to go and get that sheep. Of course, we're going to rejoice and be glad that we found it. Then he's going to call his friends and neighbors together and say, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Now, he starts out with a story that these religious leaders can totally understand and relate to. Yeah, of course. you got to get your possessions, right? I mean, that one sheep is important. I tell you that in the same way, there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And Jesus used a little hyperbole because he knows we all need to repent. But he's making a point for them. You see, to God, that one sinner. Now, he's going to throw in sinner. I thought we were talking about sheep. Yeah, we are. 
Jesus makes a spiritual application to something they understand from a worldly point of view. But when he brought the one sinner in, they're like, whoa, wait a minute. So before they can have time to argue about it or complain about it, he goes right into the next story. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Well, yeah, that makes sense. I want all my coins. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus keeps bringing it back to that sinner. And what he's trying to now do is create this picture in their mind where the same thing they were muttering about earlier, he's saying practically you understand about coins and sheep, but you don't understand about people. But I came here to save sinners. And so the who in our story is that which is lost. So far it's been a sheep or a coin. The one that pursues to find the lost, in this case a shepherd and a woman, Those who rejoice, and that's the angels in heaven, this tells you something about the character of God and his intent. Do you realize that the scene that Jeremy described this morning, when people submitted their lives to Christ, brought rejoicing in heaven? There was a loud, loud rejoice way beyond where we're sitting here this morning according to what Jesus says here in Luke 15. The angels of heaven are that aware that when a sinner repents and comes to Christ, they cheer. What an honor for us that all heaven looks in on the theater of changed lives. That's the point that he's trying to make. But then there's this question out there, and it's just kind of hanging, because there's also some people here who are not rejoicing, In fact, they're lamenting and murmuring because people want to change their lives. And so herein lies the point of everything we're talking about today in Luke 15. These parables, this text is in Luke 15 for that group of people primarily. Now, we can all gain something from it. But it's for people who cannot rejoice when people find Christ. He said, well, why would there be any people like that? Oh, they're there. And I love another thing about it. When it comes to God, there are no odds that make you irrelevant to God. In other words, if you're just one out of a hundred, he still wants to seek you and find you. If you're one out of ten, he still wants to seek you and find you. There's no odds. If it's one out of a million, he wants you to be saved. There are no odds. We can't just write anybody off. Didn't he say that he wants everyone to come to repentance? Everyone. There are no odds that are stacked against you that our God cannot find. Now, before we get to this last bit of the story, which, of course, is the most intriguing, already I'm motivated when I'm studying this because I'm thinking, man, how should this, what should I, what should Al look like? I should really care about lost people in the world. I mean, it really should be right up there with my number one goal. Because if I want to follow the example of Christ and be more like him, then I should always be concerned that there are people out there who don't know Jesus. 
And so my actions, my life, my ministry, anything that I'm doing should somehow center around that thought being at least part of my conversation. It's so easy for us to turn inside the Lord's church to the inward problems, to the inward us, and lose sight of the fact that people are trying to get to Jesus, and we don't want to be in the way. You remember when the the four guys lowered the guy through the roof? And they were like, we can't get this guy to Jesus. So we're just going to tear a hole in the roof. Now, all the people that were sitting there learning and listening, they never even thought for a second that they were also keeping someone from getting to Jesus. I don't want to be that person. I want to have a concern for the lost. In fact, I want to treat the world well. I want to be available in case they need me. I mean, I don't like seeing anybody exhibit rude behavior out in public. But if I ever see a brother or sister, if I do it myself, it's especially embarrassing. Because we just cut off an opportunity. Wouldn't that be terrible if someone cut you off in traffic and you're screaming at them and yelling at them, blowing the horn, I can't believe it. And then Sunday you're a greeter and they come up and say, oh, hello. So sorry I cut you off last week. It's okay. Come on in. We love Jesus here. You don't want to treat people like that. I want lost people to know who Jesus is. So I want to look like him. It also wants me, helps me to want to show patience in people's searching process. It takes people a while sometimes to get there. Be patient. I mean... He said that he went out and he searched for that lost sheep. And she swept the whole house and she lit up the lamp and she's searching, which means you're patient with people who are lost. And you just don't write them off. Well, I mean, I shared with them and they just don't seem to want to straighten up. Patient. Pray. Especially people we love, maybe in our own family. Well, let me get to the third point because this is the big one. If we get the, the what of it, We understand the setting. If we get the who of it, because now we know the players, we got to understand the why to really get the story. And so the third idea is the Savior and the sons in this story are going to give us the why. Let's look at verse 11. Jesus continues. Now, when he continues, he's going to up the ante because he's been talking about sheep. He's been talking about coins. But now he's going to go ahead and just bring it on home. Let's talk about people. Because that's what you're murmuring about, is people. There was a man who had two sons. So now we've made it people. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Now that could have been a whole discussion. There could have been an argument. Teachers of the law could have got into it over inheritance rights and exactly what's supposed to happen. Bottom line is this. It's not unusual in this day and age for a father to divide his estate, but it is very unusual before he's gone, but it's very unusual for some son to ask for it. That would not have happened. So this is unusual. But here's what's amazing. The father in this story that we're going to get into is representative of God himself. And what I'm amazed at is that God said, okay. That tells me something about free choice and free will. You know, because he could have just said no. And let's face it, we would have made the argument. I don't know. What if your kids came to you and said, you know, Dad, it's just, you know, I appreciate you doing well. I'd I'd like to have everything you plan on giving me today. 
And first of all, I would say, does that mean the mortgage and the insurance or what, what is that? The, what bills are you wanting to get, right? Most of us couldn't even relate to the story. But say you had worked hard and say you had been blessed. What would you say? <laughs> I dump all this on this young person. This is going to be a disaster. It tells you something about God. You have to make the choice of what you're going to do. He gives them the inheritance. And you know he's wise enough, even in a story, to know that there's probably not a good idea. But it's still the young man's choice. People that say we have no choice when it comes to spiritual decisions and who we are, they don't understand the basics of even this parable. We choose. God didn't make robots. He made human beings in his image to either choose him or not. And that's exactly where the story begins. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. Shocker! Now he's got some money. And whatever he's about to engage in, he doesn't want to do it around the home folks and the hometown. Anybody can relate to this story? Oh, Al can. So I had a conversation with my dad, and it wasn't quite as straightforward as this one it was more you need to choose to do the right thing or hit the road and there was no inheritance involved but you know what i had been given a tremendous amount of spiritual wealth i had been given a great church this church i'd been given the opportunity to see my parents turn to christ and change our family's destiny I'd been given the opportunity to see an exciting ministry that was going on right here. Pink buses in every direction, bringing people to Christ. And I decided I would go to a faraway country and squander my spiritual wealth because I didn't want anybody I knew seeing what I was about to get into. I went to the spiritual oasis of New Orleans to squander the blessings that God had given me. Well, he goes off to a distant country. There he squanders his wealth in wild living. We don't even have to read anymore, do we? We know what that entails. And I can guarantee as long as the money was there, he had friends. He had the bartenders love him. I mean, everybody's happy until the money ran out. Then all the drugs and alcohol run out. Then the people run out. And after he spent everything, the Bible says, there was a severe famine in that whole country. Uh Uh-oh. And he began to be in need. And I guarantee you, every drinking buddy he found, every woman that he had had a relationship with, none of them were anywhere to be found to help him. Isolated. Isn't it amazing how the devil makes things look so good until you get into them and then it's so bad? That's what happened to this young man and this man on stage. He went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to to the fields to feed the pigs. Now, Jesus does a great thing here because he picked out a particular story that would have been especially appalling to his audience. Because they didn't like pigs. They were so unclean. You didn't even want to be near one. 
You didn't want to eat one. And you sure didn't want to be out feeding them and living with them. And yet he was painting a picture. That's how bad this guy was. Oh, can you see the scrunched up faces of the Pharisees? Oh, Oh, more murmuring, more murmuring. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Even his fellow pig herders and the pigs themselves would give him nothing. This young man found desperation in this moment. I mean, who could blame him? I mean, you know, he had a pretty good gig back home. He totally blows it. He totally went out on his own. He totally decided to live his own life. And here he sits in the worst possible situation. And here's the worst thing about it. It's all his fault. He can't blame it on anyone. You ever been there? I have. For me, I was sitting on a curb in Kenner, just outside New Orleans, bloodied because I've been beaten to a pulp, thinking, is this it? Is this now the end of Al's short life? Is it going to end in this way? No one around me, no one to support me. And every bit of it was my own fault. Until a police officer said, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. You need to go home. And I knew what he meant when he told me that. He meant more than just West Monroe, although I got up here fast. He meant home. And man, I was in that place. I was ready to listen. But I had been so bad, and I had done so much. How could I just come back and expect anybody to accept me and to love me and to forgive me for all the things I had done? Verse 17, when he came to his senses, Kyle Eidelman, who's a great preacher, calls this an aha moment. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. I will go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He's finally owning where he's at. First, he comes to his senses. That's the awareness. That's the A. Then he shows humility because he says, I did it. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And here's the key. This is the other A in the aha action. He got up and he went to his father. You see, you can have an awareness of where your life has brought you. You can even have the humility to say, I have blown it big time. But if you don't get up and go, you'll stay right there. The action is the most important part. Aha, awareness, humility, action. That's what I did. I drove that, I don't know, 250 miles of shame back to West Monroe. I got out of my car. I was walking up to the house, shoulders slumped, ready to give my speech. If you just give me an opportunity, I'll prove myself. And here comes mom and dad. 
Didn't even wait till I got in the house. Hugged me. Dad's words exactly were, welcome home, son. We got duck calls to Bill. That was it. No long list. No telling me how bad I was. No reminding me of my shame. They came and they met me. While this young man was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. You see, he is a pursuer of all things lost. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He got part of his speech out. But before he could give any more about being a hired hand and being unable to prove himself, the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. And we told him right off the bat, All I have is yours, son. But wait a minute. Didn't he take part of what you had and squander it? Yep. Bring the best robe. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. You were empowered. That's what that said. You're not a servant here. You're my son. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For a son of mine was dead, but is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. We are going to have the best for a lost son coming home. The night I came home, we killed a fattened catfish and had a celebration. The best. Because a lost son had returned. We were talking about this on the podcast recently. We studied this text. And Jace, in humility, told about how he wasn't happy when I came home. I had been terrible to him and my family, especially him. And... You know, he looked at it as like, well, I mean, he hadn't proved himself. He said, what's, what's he supposed to, you know, how are we supposed to just live and expect him to be different? And besides, what punishment is there for everything bad that happened, especially to me? What Jace was describing and what he later said on the podcast was he had the eyes of the older brother that we're about to read about in this story. And I love that he talked about that because I guarantee you, folks here today or out there watching uh, in computer land, somebody's had that same reaction when some person, this this habitual screw-up comes back and they keep saying, oh, is this guy ever going to straighten out? Is he ever going to get it right? Should we let him back? I've been there. See, I've been both these guys. That's what's sad. You think once you've been the first guy, you'd never be the second guy. Not true. That's how insidious the evil one is. Once you think you're something, that's how he attacks. You notice the sequence of events. The lost son committed a change. Well, how does God respond? With compassion. The lost son confessed his sins in humility. How did God respond? With mercy and immediate restoration. Not waiting The lost son has nothing of human value to offer except being a complete screw-up. But his heart and his promise to God cause God to respond with celebration. That's how he wants us to be. 
Let's read the rest of the story. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, because remember, there were two sons. And by the way, your Bible says the lost son. Your Bible is not correct, because the lost son is not the red letter part. Somebody just added that. These were lost sons. They both had a problem. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come. Can you imagine this servant? They're all happy because it's like, oh, man, the young master is back. We're so excited and happy. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Aren't you glad, older brother? The older brother became angry. I'm sure that servant was shocked. Maybe he wasn't. He refused to go in. So get this. The father went out and pleaded with him. You know why he did that? Because he is a pursuer of all that is lost. Even the stubborn, even the self-righteous, even the holier than thou. He pleads with everyone. That's why Jesus is telling this parable to begin with. He doesn't want these people to miss him and be lost. And yet they're doing it. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. That's probably not true, but he's going with it. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I'm hearing a lot of self in this response. But when this son of yours, not my brother, you notice that? This son of yours who I don't even claim is my brother, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So he just let him have it. This makes me feel so bad for the father in the story and also my heavenly father. When we just spew out our vitriol and our bitterness to such a loving God. My son, the father said, so patient. You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. He didn't say it, but he could have said, the goats and the calves have always been yours. All you had to do was have your friends over and slaughter one. But you never seem to want to celebrate. You ever wonder why? He didn't say that. I said that. But we had to celebrate. And be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. How can you not love it? And here's the thing about this text that's so amazing. There's nothing else there. It's just dot, dot, dot. How is this guy going to respond? Did he change? Did he see his brother and think, you know what? I need to love lost people. My brother did. Jace accepted me. I mean, 40 years later, we're doing a podcast together. That same father and same two sons. That's a picture of God in restoration. That's what he does best. Notice the contrast in the response. There's an awareness in the younger son, but no awareness with the older, only anger. He never looks at himself. None of us are perfect, folks. I have no right to say anybody doesn't belong. 
ever. The younger person is all about inclusion. He went home to be back into the family. But the older brother is isolation. He wouldn't even go in. I am not going to be happy about this. That was his response. The older brother, the younger brother is open to whatever comes his way. I don't care. He was ready to just go to work. You don't even have to claim I'm a son. I don't expect anything except to be restored to my family. The older brother is bitter because I didn't get mine. The younger brother has a gratitude for mercy in the story. The older brother has a demand for justice. It's not right. Because I've tried to do the right thing, and I can't accept this guy who hasn't done the right thing. He must suffer. And that becomes a prevailing thought for many. So my question is this morning, where are you in the story? I've already told you that I've been all three in the story. I've been the younger brother who squandered such great spiritual wealth, did shameful things that I wouldn't want to make a movie about them unless it could help people. Are you the older brother? Not that concerned, just trying to make my way, do what I need to do, get mine. That was the Pharisee mindset in the story. I've been that person too. When Jep came, he was a prodigal for a while, and he came back. His three brothers and his mom and dad were there, and we were huddled around him on the floor. And you know what he said? What took y'all so long? Man, that got me. When I was driving away, I pulled over. I couldn't even drive and wept because I thought, you've been where he was. But you didn't love him enough to have to say something? When he's just trying to figure out how to get out of the pig pen? What took you so long? Man, it's convicting. I've also been the role of the father, which is the way I want to live every single day. I want to run to people. I want to meet them and give them good news, even before they have a chance to come and tell me their shameful story. I want to go to places and share. Lisa and I were coming home. We already done our last event. We're tired, ready to get back. I'm preaching this morning. We got six podcasts to do the next three days. This guy from the podcast said, Man, I, I saw you're going to be in our area. I wish you could share with our church what I've been listening to on the podcast. It's changed my life. So I thought about it. I thought about what I'm going to be preaching about. I said, I'll stop by. And I did, and there was a church house full of people. Lisa and I shared what God had done in our lives because the power to overcome the evil one is in the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. And that we wouldn't love this life, that we would shrink back from any opportunity, even death itself. That's the Father. And look, we're humans. We get tired, we get weary. We're going through tough times. I get it. It's not easy. We get self-pity parties. I understand. But I want to be more like my Lord and Savior every day. I want to care. And that's what this story is about. 
So, whichever person you are today, we can all be better, amen, because we're not God. If you're that person who's been living that life that you've been ashamed of or involved in some sinful situation, don't leave here with that burden. Man, had the aha moment today. Awareness, humility, and most important, action. You let somebody know, I want to change. Some have already done it by committing their lives to Christ today. If you haven't done that, today's the day. If you're that older brother, you got that judgment away about you. It's a dot, dot, dot in the story, but we want your dot, dot, dot to end today. Love people. Be merciful. Let's have a party and celebrate when people come to Christ. If you have a need at all today, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?